Amen, friends. We are going back to the New City Catechism. It is not technically Catechism Sunday because it's not the last Sunday of the month. However, you'll notice that we skipped one or two Catechism Sundays. The purpose behind that is that we are now coming to the part of the Catechism that teaches us about God's law in the Ten Commandments. And it seemed wisest and most helpful to me if we tackle them together in sequence rather than trying to spread them out over many months. It seemed wise and good if we look at them together for a sustained period of time to learn how we ought to see the commandments. So that's the plan over the next couple of weeks. We are going to be looking at the Ten Commandments together. The question for today that prompts this for us is question number eight in the New City Catechism. I'm going to read the question for us, and then if we could read the answer together, I realize that it's long because it's the Ten Commandments, and they're long. So we'll read them together uh, in answer. I'll read them nice and slow, and we'll meditate on them together. So, Sojourner's Church, what is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. Amen. As we approach these Ten Commandments, we approach them, I think, with a complicated relationship to the law of God. I don't know about you, but I feel like I, growing up in the church, have a complicated relationship to the Ten Commandments, and more specifically, to the Mosaic Law. On the one hand, we know that the law is good. We read in, in scriptures like Psalm nineteen seven to 11, this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. There's not an intrinsic problem built into this text, but... If we take something like this, where we're told that the law is good and that it's to be desired like we desire honey from the sweet honey from a honeycomb, and then we take it into Paul and Romans, we start to get confused because it sounds like the law is bad when we read texts like this, Romans 6, 14, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Is the law and grace opposites? For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. The law somehow brought about death. Why would I want to seek it like I seek honey from a honeycomb? Romans 1, 8, 1 to 2, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. How can the law be good 
and yet seemingly have this bad function of producing death, producing sin. How do we relate, in other words, Psalm 19 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 and texts like Galatians 3 and 4 and and those kind of things? How do these fit together? That's the, the question I want to approach this morning and the question I think we need to really grapple with before we can study and profit from the Ten Commandments. So this morning, we're going to be looking at two questions that are related to one another. The first one we're going to consider, and the one we're going to spend the most time on, is how should Christians think about the law of Moses? Now, the, the law of Moses is a way of summarizing and saying, saying all of the commandments given to Israel, including the Ten Commandments. These are all under the Old Covenant. There's 613 of them. If you read through texts like Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, uh, this is the law of Moses. How should Christians think about this law of Moses? What is our relationship as believers under the new covenant to this old covenant law? That's the question we want to grapple with. And then once we've discerned what that is, how we should relate and think to the law of Moses, then I want to ask the question, why study the Ten Commandments? Obviously, these are interrelated. How we think about the law of Moses, which is the Ten Commandments are part of, will determine then how we're going to profit from studying the Ten Commandments or why we would spend time studying them. So we'll take these questions one at a time. First, how should Christians think about the law of Moses? The first thing I want us to see is that the law of Moses is good. It's common in the new covenant context of the church because these relationships are confusing to think about the law as bad. But the law is fundamentally good. When God's people are given the law in Exodus 20 verses 1 to 17, the first few verses say this, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This law that he's going to give his people is fundamentally good because God himself is good and a saving God. It's given in the context of an act of grace, God's saving work, bringing his people out of slavery in Egypt, bringing them across the Red Sea, bringing them through the wilderness and bringing them into the promised land. This law is given as an act of grace in response to God's saving grace of his people. And it's given to an undeserving people. We can say it's graceful because it's given to an undeserving people, people that don't deserve the grace that they receive. In Deuteronomy 7, when Moses is talking about the law, he says this in verses 6 to 8, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Why? To be a people for all his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people. That the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, God, through his grace, saved his people. Not because they deserved it, but because he loved them. Because he had made promises to them out of his love. 
In Deuteronomy 9, 6, Moses reminds God's people that it's not because they're more righteous that they're being given this promised land to go and enter and live out this covenant. But it's because God has chosen them in love. The aim of this command, this, the aim of this law of Moses given to the people is ultimately that God's people would flourish This is another reason why it's an act of grace. It's a grace aimed at learning to live in the land that God has promised under his blessing. So when Moses is summarizing it in Deuteronomy 30, he says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. This is the law he's given. One path leads to life, one path leads to death. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land. That the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. So friends, the law of Moses is good. It's filled with grace for God's people, given as a response to his saving grace. The New Testament authors agree, even though they're going to say, that there's something better. They're going to say that the New Testament or the, the, the law of Moses is still good. John 1, 16 to 17. The NIV translates this a little bit better, I think, than the ESV. So that's why this is in there. John writes this. Out of his fullness, this is Jesus. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Notice he's been talking about the better, but before he gets there, he says that the law itself given through Moses was grace, grace already given to God's people. Second Corinthians three, eight through nine. Also, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory? These words, even more glory means something else is glorious. And now this has even more glory than that. And he says, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, this is how he summarizes the law, even though it's the ministry of condemnation, there's still glory there. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Just because something exceeds it in glory doesn't mean it itself is not glorious. So the law of Moses which the Ten Commandments is a part of, all of God's commands given through Moses to his people, these are good. We have to recognize that if we're going to rightly understand them. They are not bad. They are good. But the law of Christ is better. The law of Christ is better. We see that in those two texts we just looked at. Grace in place of grace already given. A better grace that exceeds the grace that was already given. This he calls grace and truth coming through Jesus Christ. Or in 2 Corinthians 3, 8 to 9, right? The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. This is, he's talking about in the context, this ministry of Christ. What I'll talk about in a minute is called the law of Christ. So the law of Christ is better. Why, though, is it better? This is the part that we have a hard time, I think, wrapping our minds around as believers under the new covenant. We know it's better, but why? What's better about it? It's not better because the law of Moses was bad which is often the way people think about it. The law of Moses is bad. Law of Christ is good. Therefore, it's better. That's not why it's better. Why is it better? The first reason why it is better is because Jesus Christ himself fulfills the law of Moses. It's better not because Jesus has 
done away with the law, but because he's brought the law to its end, its fulfillment in him. Matthew five seventeen to 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. This is not just talking in Jesus uh, when he's giving this uh, sermon on the mount. He's not just talking about the law being fulfilled in the sense of it predicted Jesus and now Jesus is here. He's talking about the requirements of the law, the legal requirements of what obedience to God and faithfulness to his word looks like. Jesus himself fulfills these legal requirements of the law. Also in Luke 24, as he's talking to his disciples, he says to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Again, he's not just talking about the things predicted about him. He's talking about the purpose of everything written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms, which is a way of summarizing the Old Testament. And included within that is this law of Moses, this law given to God's people. It is fulfilled in Jesus. That's why the law of Christ, that's why Jesus is better, because he fulfills this law. Not only that, but the law of Christ is better because Jesus, as a new Moses, provides a new commandment. He says this in John thirteen thirty four: A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Again, Moses predicted a prophet like him would arise among God's people. And Jesus is identified as this prophet like Moses. And just like Moses gave the Ten Commandments, received them from the Lord, gave them to his people, Jesus gives this new commandment that you love one another. But if you know the law of Moses, you know that this is not really a new commandment, is it? The entire law, Jesus says in Matthew 22, is summarized. In love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This idea that you love one another is not necessarily new in the sense that it's never been heard from before. Jesus is giving a new commandment that's in continuity. It it continues the purpose and the aim of the law of Moses. Jesus is giving this better commandment that is fulfilling the law of Moses. In Romans 13, 8 to 10, this is how Paul sees it as well. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Notice those are part of the Ten Commandments, right? And here's what he says. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So it's a new commandment, but not new in the entirely different sense, as in, this is contrary to the law of Moses. The law of Moses and the law of Christ are not in opposition to each other. This is in continuity with the law of Moses. The newness of this is in the standard that Jesus gives, right? The old standard, we see it in Romans thirteen eight there on the bottom, 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is from Leviticus, summarizing the whole law. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. What was the standard that Jesus used? How did he love his disciples? He didn't love his own life, right? But he gave it freely. He self-sacrificially loved others. Rather than as he loved himself, he loved them more than he loved his own life. This is the new standard that Jesus gives. It's the law of love that's expressed in the cross. And we call it the law of Christ because Paul, summarizing this, when he says, bear one another's burdens, calls it the law of Christ. This is how he labels it. He says, bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Just as Jesus bore our burden of sin to the cross, we bear one another's burdens in love for one another, and we fulfill the law of Christ, which is a law of love. The law of Christ is just the command that, God, that Jesus gave us to love one another as he has loved us. So Jesus gives us this new law that is better because it's in, it's in fulfillment of this old law. And it's in continuity with this old law. And it's also better because the old law was filled with grace as an act of God's kindness to his people, but it wasn't filled with the enabling grace that enabled God's people to love him. See, the problem wasn't with the Mosaic law. The problem wasn't with the law of Moses. It's good. The problem is with the heart of the people. Right? And what the law of Moses revealed about God's people is that their hearts were filled with sin and rebellion. The law that Jesus gives us, the law of Christ, is better because he himself gives us what we need to fulfill it, which is new hearts. In Romans 8, we read about this. 8, 3 to 4. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns him in the sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walked not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Right? Where did we get this spirit that gives us a new heart and enables us to walk in the ways of Christ's command? From Jesus himself. When he ascended, he sent the spirit down to his people, Right? We now have God's spirit living inside of us as believers in Christ, which enables us to keep the commandment to love one another. This is what's better about this new covenant in Christ, this new law that Jesus has given us. He says, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Excuse me, this is John writing. He says this, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, right? Jesus spent his whole ministry talking about the need to be born again. Like we read in John 3, This need to be born of God and so have the spirit of God within us. Hearts sprinkled clean. The ability to obey his law. Summarized and love one another as I have loved you. This is the law of Christ and it is better because we have now the ability in Christ to obey. So friends, how should we think about these law of Moses and the law of Christ, we need to first realize and understand that we are no longer under the law of Moses. 
We're no longer under the law of Moses. Galatians 3, 23 to 25. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Or Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or Romans 7, 6, but, we are now, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Galatians five eighteen. but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We are not under the law of Moses in a, in a certain sense. The sense is that we are not under this law as a binding legal authority. Okay? We're not under the law in the same way that Israel was under the law of Moses as a binding legal authority. That's a little bit hard for us to wrap our mind about. Here's what I mean by that. Okay, The Ten Commandments... One of those is you shall not covet, right? Why do we as Christians not covet? Why is it wrong and sinful for us to covet? It is not because God said so in the Ten Commandments, okay? Because we are not under any longer the binding legal authority of the law of Moses. But... Jesus has given us this law of Christ, which is in continuity, right? Jesus also teaches us not to covet. How? His example of serving one another, of not loving our own lives, even unto death, of not storing up treasures on earth, his example and call to be generous to one another. All of these things, are, we can't covet if we're doing them, right? And if we're coveting, we're denying Christ's call to love one another as he has loved us. And therefore, we're in sin because we're violating God's law given us in Christ Jesus. Okay? This is an important distinction. I'll, te- I'll show you more how that works. I know that's hard to wrap our minds around. It might seem, it might seem unnecessary as a distinction, but it is. The difference is that the law does not bind us, but the law still instructs us. We learn about what coveting is by you shall not covet. And we also learn about what coveting is by many of the other 613 commands that God gave Israel through Moses. Okay, we'll talk more about that in a minute. We are no longer, though, under the binding authority of the law of Moses, but we are under the binding authority of the law of Christ. Romans 7, 6, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. But if you are led by the Spirit, Galatians 5, 18, you are not under the law. James 1, 25, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, which is this new law we've been given under Christ, Preserve, or, and, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We are now under this law of Christ, which leads us, in summary, how should we think about the law of Moses to reflect on the two possible ways that we can err in this thinking. One way that we can err 
is if we fail to acknowledge the goodness of the law. In other words, if we think I'm no longer under the law of Moses as a binding legal authority, therefore it has nothing to do with me and it is bad. If we fail to acknowledge the goodness of the law, then what will happen is we will neglect the law. We will become those who are, have, no, have no understanding of God's authority in our lives and think the Old Testament doesn't matter at all. And we will eventually neglect the entire Old Testament. It will make your Bible reading plan shorter, but it won't do anything for your holiness, your salvation, your trust in Christ. It will rob you of so much good that we're going to see in why we should study the Ten Commandments. So we must understand that the law is good. We cannot fail to acknowledge that. But if we fail to acknowledge the betterness of the law of Christ, then we will become what's called legalistic. Legalistic is not just having rules, which is sometimes how we throw it out. That's legalistic because you have some rules. Or there's some authority I don't like. That's not what legalism is. Legalism is trying to earn our righteousness by obedience to a legal standard. If we don't recognize that we are no longer under the binding legal authority of the law of Moses, then we will try subtly to earn our righteousness by obedience to the law of Moses. In other words, we will look at why are we right with God? Because we keep the Ten Commandments. And that's not what Jesus calls us to in his word. He calls us to obey the law of Christ by the Spirit, not by our own strength. So if we fail to acknowledge the betterness of the new covenant, we will improperly use the law. What we must do to understand the law rightly is to look through the lens of Christ's fulfillment. Okay, this is so important. Matthew 5, 17 to 20, when Jesus says he doesn't abolish the law, listen carefully to what he says. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. If you think about what Jesus is saying here, why is he saying it's bad to relax these commandments? In other words, it is bad to say to a fellow Christian, covening is okay, even though the Ten Commandments tell you not to. Stealing is okay, even though God's word tells you not to. It is bad to say that because Jesus did not abolish, but he fulfilled those laws. Okay? He fulfilled those laws and gave us a new law, the law of Christ that is in continuity with those. So it is not wrong to steal because the Ten Commandments say so. It is wrong to steal because the law of Christ tells us that. In continuity with the Ten Commandments. So here's here's how this works as we think about reading God's law. This diagram is a diagram of a lens. And the the little words I realize are hard to see. That's okay. What I want you to take away from this, this is from Jason DeRoshi's book, How to Understand and Apply the Old Testament. He was my professor at seminary. A very good book. Highly recommend it. I'd be happy to let you look at it later and even read it with you. In this book, he gives this illustration of a lens to help us understand how the fulfillment of Christ 
affects our understanding of the law. When light comes through a lens, some of the light goes straight through. Some of the light gets refracted or bent certain ways. Some of the light might even get stopped if you have a polarized lens, for example. Okay? It's the same way when we read the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, through Christ's fulfillment. We have to ask, how does Jesus fulfilling the law affect this command? Okay? He gives some examples. So one of the easiest examples to think about is the command in Deuteronomy to build a parapet or a fence around your roof. In Old Testament times, they had flat roofs where they would hang out. They would fellowship and visit and have meals and those kind of things. And there was a law given to God's people that they were breaking God's covenant if they refused to obey to build a parapet or a fence around their roof so that no one would fall off, right? That law is extended by Christ. How so? He commands us to love one another as he has loved us, which means not building a fence around our roof because I don't know about you, but in Minnesota, I don't hang out on my roof right? But it means having a deck that's in good repair, which ours is maybe a little shaky. It means shoveling your sidewalk so your neighbor doesn't fall and trip. It means caring for the well-being of those who come to your property, right? It means loving others as Christ has loved us, which is consciously thinking about them, putting up a baby gate so that babies don't fall down the stairs, those kind of things. It's extended by Christ's fulfillment. It is not taken just straight over in as in, I need to build a fence around my roof even though it's really steep, right? Likewise, other commands, like the unclean food uh, commands, the food uh, commands about eating unclean foods, are changed in Christ. They're, they're annulled. They're, they're done away with in Jesus. He declared all foods clean, And God specifically did so to Peter through a vision, right? So now you and I can eat bacon on our hamburgers and celebrate the gospel. It's not just brought through. So you see, this is why we can't say the law of Moses has binding legal authority on us. Because if it did, you and I could not eat bacon. And if it did, you and I would be sinning against God for not building a fence around our roof. Some laws are brought straight through, like laws such as you shall not murder, right? You shall not murder is not changed by Christ. It is also part of the law of Christ, loving your neighbor as Christ has loved you. Some laws are fulfilled in Christ and transformed, such as the Sabbath rest, which we'll get to when we talk through the Ten Commandments. Okay, this is the, this is the lens that we're going to be using. This is how we're going to ask questions about the Ten Commandments and profit from them, asking how are they fulfilled in Christ? How have they changed now and are part of the law of Christ, incorporated into the law of Christ? We'll practice that over the next couple messages as we look at the Ten Commandments. And so hopefully by the end, that'll make it easier for you to read and understand the whole law of Moses, which is a good chunk of our Old Testament. So friends, that's how we should relate to the law of Moses. Why briefly, why should we study the Ten Commandments then? If we relate to the law of Moses in this way, what benefit does it bring us? We know scriptures like 2 Timothy 3, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for us. So we we get that, that we should spend time in it. We know from Psalm 1 that it's a blessing to meditate on the law of the Lord day and night. But beyond that, what benefits do we have? 
by studying the Ten Commandments. I want to give us three. There's certainly more, but I want to give us three that I think can be helpful. And I'm going to ask John Calvin from his institutes to help us with that. So reading the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, through the lens of Christ brings us benefit in these three ways. First, the Ten Commandments, they show us what God is like. Calvin writes this. He says, There is no one whose mind ought not to be kindled to heed the law, which has come forth, he hears, from the highest king. As all things take their beginning from him, it is reasonable that they should in turn determine and direct their end to him. There is no one, I say, who ought not to be captivated to embrace the lawgiver in the observance of whose commandments he is taught to take a special delight, from whose kindness he expects both an abundance of all good things and the glory of immortal life, by whose marvelous power and mercy he knows himself freed from the jaws of death. The commandments of God teach us about what God is like. They teach us about God's character. Specifically, if we think about the Ten Commandments, the command, especially that you shall not murder, teaches us that God values life, that God longs for flourishing. The command you shall not covet teaches us that God longs for us to live in harmony and unity with one another. All through God's law, in the law of Moses, we see God's character, steadfast love and faithfulness, holiness, righteousness, As Calvin says, this kindness, the abundance of God to give all good things, his marvelous power and his mercy, these are all on display. The law then, by showing us what God is like and showing us what the world he created is like, points us to how to live in shalom with God, in peace with God, how to live in God's place at peace with him by following these laws. This is part of the way the law works in first timothy when paul says that this law was not given for the just but for the unjust and he lists all of these categories of sin and says the law is given to restrain these the law is given to show us what it should be like as we live in a world that god has created and what god himself as creator is like this is the first reason we want to study the ten commandments we want to learn more about the character of our god and grow to love him more not only that though the ten commandments actually point to jesus it might be hard to see it especially if you're used to thinking in terms of we've got grace and truth in jesus and we've got the law they're not in opposition remember These Ten Commandments actually point to Jesus. One of the ways they do is by anticipating Jesus' perfect righteousness and exposing our sinfulness. Listen to what Calvin says. If a man is not clearly convinced of his own vanity, he is puffed up with insane confidence in his own mental powers and can never be induced to recognize their slenderness as long as he measures them by a measure of his own choice. But as soon as he begins to compare his powers with the difficulty of the law, he has something to diminish his bravado. In other words, this law, this standard that God gives us for what it looks like to love God and love neighbor, shows us what righteousness looks like. And in us, it causes us to recognize our own lack of righteousness. And it also anticipates Christ by showing us what his perfect righteousness would look like. 
the law not only anticipates Christ's righteousness in this way, but it anticipates Christ as the provision for mercy that the law causes us to cry out for. Because when we see that the standard we're comparing ourselves to is so much higher and beyond what we can achieve, it causes us to cry out to God, Lord, have mercy. Right? And the response to the cry of God's people, Lord, have mercy, is for God to come in and rescue them. And how has he rescued us? It's in Christ Jesus. The law then causes us to cry out for this mercy. Calvin says this, dismissing the stupid opinion of their own strength, they come to realize that they stand and are upheld by God's hand alone. That naked and empty, they flee to his mercy, repose entirely in it, hide deep within it, and seize upon it alone for righteousness and merit. In this way, one of the ways that the Ten Commandments work for us is prophetically. Instead of reading them as law code, like rules that if you break, you're in trouble, we read them as prophecy, as pointing to our own sin and need of a Savior, and as pointing to the Savior that God has provided. So when we read the law and when we study it together, we're going to think about how is this law pointing us to our own need for Jesus and to God's perfect provision of that righteousness in Christ. The third way that the law functions for us, that it, uh, the third reason why we want to study the Ten Commandments is that they teach us how to live a life of love. This is really important for us to understand that the commandments are not opposed The law of Moses is not opposed to the law of Christ. In the law of Moses, we learn how to live a life of love. Calvin says this, We ought not to be frightened away from the law or to shun its instruction merely because it requires a much stricter moral purity than we shall reach while we bear about with us the prison house of our body. For the law is not now acting toward us as a rigorous enforcement officer who is not satisfied unless the requirements are met. But in this perfection to which it exhorts us, the law points out the goal toward which throughout life we are to strive. The law, in other words, fills up our concept of what the love of Christ looks like. When Christ commands us to love one another as we have loved him, that's in the context, or as he has loved us, excuse me, that's in the context of an entire history of what love of God and love of neighbor looks like. As Jesus spoke about love to his disciples, they would have understood love from the Ten Commandments, from the law of Moses. They would have understood love of neighbor includes caring for my neighbor by building a fence around my roof. When we read the law of Moses, we learn how to live a God-centered life of love through pictures of that love in case law. Through examples like the parapet, or examples like keeping the Sabbath, or examples like honoring our parents. We take, read these examples, take them through the lens of Christ's fulfillment, and then apply them to our lives. And so we learn how to love. This is so important because we live in a culture that thinks of love primarily in sentimental terms. And, but we learn from God's word the true content of what love looks like. In this way, the law of God teaches us, functions like an instructor in what love looks like. John 
First John, excuse me, chapter 4, says something similar. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If we don't have the context of God's law to fill that out, we're left adrift with a lot of sentimentality. God is love. It's used in our culture to redefine love into you affirming what I believe about myself or what I desire for myself. But that's not the content of God is love. God is love includes all of the law of Moses graciously given to his people. John writes this, he says in verse 9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What John is saying here is that the love of God that was manifested among us, was manifested in Jesus and his cross work. This is the ultimate expression of the love of God. And why was that necessary? What led to that? It's the entire requirement of the Old Testament law. This law teaches us why the love of God in Christ Jesus at the cross was necessary. And it teaches us then how to live a life that is that loves others and loves God in a similar way. That's what we're going to be looking at as we go through. So friends, the plan for the next couple weeks is to spend time going through these 10 commandments and asking, how do they teach me about the character of God? How do they help me see my own sin and need for a savior? And how do they teach me what God-centered love really looks like? So we'll do that together, but for now, that's enough for today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word, and particularly this morning, thank you for your law. Thank you for preserving it for us, that though we are not under the binding legal authority because of Christ Jesus, we can still benefit and learn from it. Thank you for fulfilling in Jesus what we could not. Jesus, thank you for your perfect righteousness, for your death on our behalf, for your resurrection and the life that we gain through faith in you. I pray that you would help us as we go through this series to learn more about what it looks like to love others as you have loved us. I pray that as we learn more about the law of Moses, we would be greatly improved in our ability to live life by the law of Christ. Would you help us? Would you help us now as we come to your table? We pray. Amen.